Thank you, Terry. Let's give Terry a hand. Thank you. Well, good evening, everybody. Let's all stand as we open the service tonight. We have Pastor Ed bringing the, worship, or the word tonight, and we got Gary Ray as our special guest. And we are going to be opening by the reading of Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth in the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we thank you for this weekend, Lord, um, that is a, a start of a new year, Father. I pray that your blessing would be poured upon each of us, Lord, as we enter this new year, Father God. May we continue to be led by your spirit. May you continue to speak to us uh, through these uh, meetings where we gather, Lord God. Be with Pastor Ed as he brings a word tonight. May you speak clearly, Father, and may all of us just be brought into um, fellowship with you in this place, we pray in your name. And all of God's believers agreed by saying, amen. Why don't you guys turn around and say hello, and then we will worship.
treasure you found but Jesus is calling Jesus is calling Jesus is
tonight and welcome Gary Ray. Thanks guys. Good evening everyone. Great to see you all again. Merry Christmas for the other day and Happy New Year. Um, my name is Gary Ray. This is my son Trent. We're going to play a couple of songs for you guys. This first one is called Hello Would Be.
God, your goodness has no end. Amen. Strong and faithful you have been. I won't hold my praises in. God, your goodness has no end. Amen. Strong, strong and faithful you have been. I won't hold my praises in. God, your goodness has no end. Amen. Oh, strong and faithful you have been. I won't hold my praises in. God, your goodness has no end. Amen. What a Savior. What a healer. What a teacher. What a friend. What a Savior. What a Savior. What a healer. What a teacher.
fill us, Holy Spirit. Let it rain. Let it rain. Let it pour. Let your Holy Spirit fall down on us. Down on us. Let it rain. Let it pour. Let it fall down on us. Amen. God bless you guys. Gary, whoa, thank you, Gary. Give it up for his son on piano. Come on, that was amazing. Awesome. Well, let's take a look at this week's announcements. Excuse me, can I get some help, please? Yeah, I'll be right there. My wife's going to love this. My grandson is going to love this. Can I get a price check? Yeah, I got all the bandage jewelry first. I'll be right with you. But I was here first. I have dinner with my wife in 30 minutes. I need this now. My wife is the most precious thing in the world. Not to me. I don't care. I don't care what you think about. I my grandson needs this right now, and I need to know Forget how much friend. is it. God is on my side. Um, we need help in the bookstore. Can you guys come and fill in the application, please? Ladies first. Don't be like these guys. Make sure you read your weekly bulletin so you know when the services are on. Whoa, what is that? Where'd this come from? It's the bulletin. Oh, that's why. They're closed. Oh, wait, it says here that they resume January 3rd. So we wasted all that gas for nothing. We'll see you guys January 3rd. Now, I'm no rocket scientist, but I think they need help in the bookstore, guys. So uh, let's get those applications in, okay? <laughs> let's stop now and pray and just prepare our hearts for tonight's message. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for the grace that you have poured upon us, Lord. As we woke this morning, as we go to sleep tonight, Lord, we know that your mercies have covered us, God. We ask that as we study your word tonight, as Pastor Ed brings your word, Father, I pray that our hearts will be transformed to be more like you, Father, to be the people that you created us to be, Father God. Make us like you, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind standing with me, we're in the book of Acts chapter 10 this evening, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he had observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa 
send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, about noon. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at all four corners descended to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke again to him a second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now when Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had just seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, <coughs> excuse me, and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among all of the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited him in and lodged him. And then the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Again, we desire to understand what it is you're teaching us through these historic events. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Teach us now so that when we leave this place, we're different than the way we came in. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's children agreed by saying, Amen. You may be seated, please. Interesting section of scripture having to do with, although kosher foods are mentioned, it's really talking about something much broader, much deeper, much more important than that. Uh, a while back, I was in uh, Sacramento, California, and I was reading a copy of the Sacramento Bee, and it had a story in it of a Christian school teacher. Her name was Dottie who uh, decided to take the summer off and drive around the United States. So she bought a, a truck, a good used one, and uh, a trailer, and she set out. But uh, 
a few days later, rounding the curve on I-5, uh, in rush hour traffic, her truck blew the water pump. It was a hot summer day. So she pulled to the side, and, and in spite of the traffic jam she caused, nobody seemed interested enough to help her. And so she leaned up against her truck and she prayed, Please, God, send me an angel. Please one with mechanical abilities. In less than five minutes, a big, noisy Harley rumbled up, ridden by an enormous man sporting a long ponytail of black hair, massive beard, and full tattooed arms. With an air of confidence, he jumped off and without even glancing at her, went to work on the truck. A couple of minutes later, he flagged down a larger truck attached a tow chain to the frame of the disabled truck and whisked the whole 56-foot-long rig off the freeway into a side street where he found an auto parts store, got a new water pump, and quickly replaced it. The intimidated schoolteacher was too dumbfounded to say anything, especially when he turned around and she read the words on the back of his leather jacket, Hell's Angels, Oakland, California. As he finished the job, she finally got up the courage to say thank you so much and was able to carry on a brief conversation, noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal. He looked her straight in the eye and said, don't judge a book by its cover. You probably have no idea just who you are really talking to. And with that, he smiled, closed the hood of the truck, straddled his Harley, and with a quick wave, was gone as fast as he had appeared. So, the first thing to learn from that article was that when we pray for an angel, we should always be very specific what kind of angel we want. We might get a hell's angel or a heavenly one. So, sometimes God uses issues like that. He designs them, I think, um, God has his ways, so many different ways to teach us lessons that we need in answer to our prayers. That isn't the way we were expecting the answer, but it ended up being very apropos for what we needed. So that's what's happening in the events we're studying here in Acts 10, and then next time the second half of it, and then Acts 11. It's a fascinating setup having to do with the disciple, the apostle Peter, who was, it turns out, very, very Jewish. And what I mean by that was, although he's a disciple of Jesus Christ, we see, as we just heard, that he's practicing all the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And uh, he ate kosher foods, and he went to all the, the Jewish festivals, and he did everything he could to follow the law. He had accepted Jesus as his Messiah, no question whether he was saved or not. But Peter saw the Christian faith as an extension of the Jewish faith. In other words, he thought that you had to be Jewish first and then you could become a Christian. And uh, so Gentiles could become believers, but they had to become a Jew first. That's what he was thinking, in fact. We'll come upon that when we get later into deeper into Acts. So somebody asked me 
uh, the other day when I thought the book of Acts was actually written, because it doesn't say, the, the date of composition had to be very early in the 60s, 60 to 62 or 63. Otherwise, Dr. Luke would have mentioned some very important things that happened later on in the 60s that he doesn't mention. Uh, he, he doesn't mention the destruction of Jerusalem, for example, in 70 AD, Paul's death in 68, or the persecution of Nero against Christians that began in 64. So I think it's probably about 60s, 61, 62, maybe as late as 63. So, um, so that means that the book of Acts only covers a period of about 30 years. And it begins with the Lord's ascension in chapter 1, when he went up into heaven, which is A.D. 33, we believe, to Paul's two-year Roman house arrest that ended in about 62. So this chapter, where we are right now, is about 10 years after the resurrection of Jesus. We're on the brink of a new day, you might say, of church history, of Gentiles being saved. Up until this time, the concept of any Gentile receiving salvation hadn't really happened. In other words, uh, Peter, you'll remember, was speaking on, on Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved, but they were all Jews who were there for the Feast of Pentecost. And then again, uh, a little bit later, for uh, 2,000 more, they were all Jews. Now, uh, yes, uh, Peter did go north with John to the Samaritans and preach there, but the Samaritans were Jews with uh, their own high priest, their own version of the Bible, their own version of uh, the temple. So we haven't really seen, as we've been traveling through this, any Gentiles getting saved. And that's what we're about ready to be introduced to. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. That's a line officer, about the equivalent of a captain, in, say, in the U.S. Army. And uh, he has a hundred men. That's what the name centurion means, a century, a hundred men. He's over. And um, so he's a, a man who's living in the military stronghold in Israel of the Roman army. They all lived in this area uh, that we're reading about. So um, Hebrews 8.13 said that the old covenant is closing down. Uh, in that, God says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So, Jesus talked about a new covenant that was coming. He said there, you can't put new wine in old wine skins, referring to that. Uh, it's useless in Matthew 9, 16 to patch uh, an old cloth with a new cloth patch because it would shrink and tear away. So, um, the... Food restrictions, the feast, the Sabbath, circumcision, new moons, all are gone. And it's a shocking change for Peter and really the rest of the disciples. And this episode concerning Cornelius is a, 
a very important one, so important that there's three different references to it in the book of Acts. So this is the, the change in focus of just going to Jews, now going to Gentiles, of which probably most of us in this room are Gentiles. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to see three things in this lesson. Number one, believers initially resisted the idea of evangelizing Gentiles. The Jews weren't going to the Gentiles, they were just going to other Jews, Christian Jews. Then finally, they accepted it because God is speaking so clearly here. And then thirdly, God used Peter as the leaders of Jerusalem apostles to open the door to the Gentiles. It's interesting to me, instead of Paul, who was the Jew of the Jews, it's Peter that he uses to touch his Gentile, these Gentiles here that we're just reading about. So, to remind you, at the end of Acts 9, we left Peter in a port city of Israel called Joppa. Today it's Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A, then it was J-O-P-P-A, you can hear the two. Um, after he'd been used by the Lord to raise up a woman from the dead, Tabitha, this chapter opens with an introduction to this Roman officer, uh, his name Cornelius, uh, living in just up the coast from where Peter is in Joppa, it's only about 30 miles uh, up to uh, Caesarea. So, there are three parts to this section. Uh, the preparation of this centurion, this Roman officer, Cornelius, 1 through 8, and then the preparation of Peter to even want to go talk to these Gentiles and not require of them Old Testament scriptures, the law, all the various things that were there, and then the welcome of the Gentiles in the last three verses. That's where we're going. Let's jump in, verse 1. So there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. So the first thing Dr. Luke tells us about this Cornelius is that he's uh, an officer in the Roman legion, something that it would have made him all the more hated by the Jews because they were, in fact, uh, overflowing the land. Patriotic Jews would see them as an invasion force. Cornelius was a very common Roman name at the time, and uh, centurions were over a command of 100 men. Um, they were on the same level, as I mentioned, a captain, and, and they were part of a cohort. Now, a cohort uh, contained 600 soldiers, so there were six of these line officers, over 100 troops each. And um, the, he's talking about this Italian uh, regiment. Um, there were 32 of these Italian regiments. So we, just, we just have a lot of details because of all the Romans, historians that were writing during his time, especially Josephus. Um, but a, leg a legion, a Roman legion, was 6,000 troops. So each legion was divided into these 10 cohorts and, um, and then six centuries or six centurions over them. So he's in Caesarea. It's a beautiful spot um, still to this day. This is the harbor of Joppa where Peter is staying. 
In fact, uh, the house that he's staying in has been identified, and it's quite famous. You can actually go and visit it. Um, Herod uh, would, uh, it's from this city, I should say, that uh, Jonah left to go to Nineveh, and, he, well, actually, he went the wrong way, and then he had a little whale time, and after he spent some time in the whale, then he got to Nineveh, but it was from this harbor that he left. This was the main harbor at the time in Israel. There's a, a next shot, please. Um, this is Caesarea, and this is the Pontius Pilate stone. I mentioned it to you last time if you were here. I mentioned it again because it's a very important uh, placeholder in the history of archaeology. This stone was found in Caesarea, where Cornelius is from and where Peter's about ready to go. And it was discovered by that Italian archaeologist, a woman uh, who is uh, examining, and, and if you could read it, it actually does say Pontius Pilate Prefect, and that was a, a cornerstone on a building that was repurposed for something else, and she found it, became very famous for it, and um, her name is Maria Teresa Fortuna Cavanet. And it was found right next to that. That is the amphitheater. And notice the beautiful harbor around it, the waves breaking out there. And uh, it is a spectacularly beautiful site. It's where the Roman legion stayed. It's where Pontius Pilate's residence was. Uh, it's cool by the Mediterranean where it's pretty warm inside Israel. And... Uh, so it's the headquarters of the governor in Judea. Verse 2, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Wow, pretty long list of qualifiers for this Roman officer. He's devout. The word is interesting. Eusebus, the you means well. The rest of the word means worship. He was a good worshiper, and um, he feared God, a technical term that Dr. Luke is using, used by Jews usually to recognize a Gentile who was serious in their relationship with God. Cornelius uh, had reverence for God, the God of the Jews, and, um, but he himself was an outsider and uh, only able to worship from afar. In fact, if he went into Jerusalem to worship at the temple, he couldn't go any further than the outer court called the court of the Gentiles. So uh, he, along with his whole family, his household, meaning both his wife and children, but also the servants that he had, uh, he was a family man and considered it important to give God an, an important place in his home. Um, he gave alms generously to the people those of you that are here, we, I covered that word, alms. Um, it was uh, what Tabitha was famous for doing. Uh, she gave of herself. It's really an act of mercy. She saw a need in somebody and fulfilled it. Remember, she made garments and sweaters and things for people that couldn't afford it. Uh, that same word is used here 
or Cornelius, and he prayed to God always. He's a man of prayer. So I, I think it's fair to say he was a very religious man, but he did not know God yet. He's going to meet him in the next chapter. So it, it, it's not unusual to find religious people in the, word, in the world. Uh, I've talked with sincere Hindus, very sincere Buddhists, uh, sincere Muslims, Muslims, even some who are Christians who are sincere in their desire to know God, but they never surrendered to him. So they're not really a believer. Um, church membership has never saved anybody. Neither has giving alms, giving prayers, monasteries, rituals, fasting, acts of deprivation. None of those things establish a relationship with God, only a surrender of our will to him. We'll go through that again a little further along. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, so it's 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. That was the common time for prayer. It was called the time of the evening prayer. Uh, he is praying, evidently. Cornelius is praying. And uh, he saw clearly the vision of an angel of God coming in and saying his name. So God sent a mission, uh, a messenger, an angel, to prepare him to hear something from Peter. This is interesting, because if God took all the trouble to send an angel from heaven to speak to Cornelius, to tell him that he was going to use a man named Peter to tell him about God, why didn't the angel just tell him? I think that's a very good question, one that we need to ponder. The angel is already there. He's got obviously Cornelius's attention um, and he's very he has an opportunity to just say you know you need to get on your knees and ask God for forgiveness and surrender to him why doesn't that happen all over the world today why doesn't God send angels he doesn't because I think angels are spectacularly powerful looking I don't know their size how about a nice 12 foot 2 or something and a flaming sword is described several places in the hands of angels that appeared to humans. They, if they preached the gospel, everyone would surrender to them, but for the wrong reasons, just out of fear. God has given us volition, choice, the ability to make a decision. And so he doesn't force us by spectacular displays of power or something, or a mighty angel, he's left that for you and for me to do with other people, to talk about what God has done in our own life and be relatable so other people hear it from another person rather than a spectacular, 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 great, great word, spectacular angel. So, he, uh, God's gift to man is free will, and we have a choice, and he honors that. And when he observed, when Cornelius observed the angel, verse 4, he was afraid. 
so that leads me to believe maybe this angel's pretty spectacular looking. And in fact, almost all of the appearances of angels in the New Testament begin with the words, fear not. So I'm thinking we'd all be shaking in our boots if we met an angel face to face. So he was afraid, this Roman legionnaire. What is it, he says, Lord, after he said his name. And he said to him, your prayers and your alms, your good works, your gifts of mercy have come up for a memorial before God. God had taken note of your prayers, Cornelius, and of your offerings, of you helping people that had needs. Um, these were rising up to God, verse 5. Now send men to Joppa. Here's what the angels come to tell him to do. I want you to send men south about 30 miles from Caesarea where you are down the coast to where this man, Simon, whose surname is Peter. So uh, that's another shot of Joppa. And uh, so north of it, there's a map, is uh, Caesarea. And Jerusalem, you can see, is interior, Samaria's interior, um, the Galilee, Capernaum, all of those are inside. These are the two major seaports uh, on the Mediterranean Sea in the first century. Joppa was for was just the Jewish old port, and Caesarea, the Roman uh, that was much larger and had room for much bigger ships. Um, Send for Simon, whose name surname is Peter. Probably Cornelius didn't even know who Peter was at this point. Um, but he knew that he should do whatever God told him to do through an angel. And the angel says, Peter is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. Now, um, this is actually a picture of Simon the Tanner's house. It's been obviously uh, rebuilt and redone, but if you can, I uh, can't quite read it very good, but it's actually a church today, and uh, a small church, you go inside, and the back of it opens up onto the harbor. So um, that's the description uh, in verse 6. He's lodged with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, and then he will tell you what you must do. So um, you can uh, go hang out in Joppa and, uh, and uh, see the same spot where Peter was for, I think it's $4 to get in. That's a joke. Okay. Verse 7. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and devoted, excuse me, his household servants and a devoted soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Now remember Cornelius' whole house of Reverend Scott, like he did, so his servants and the other soldiers that were there. Verse 8, and so he explains all these things to them, and he sends them down the coast 30 miles to Joppa. Um, there's something that's fascinating to me here. 
Joppa is the same port that Jonah left from and then got sidetracked in the belly of a whale, I mentioned. But God sent Jonah to the city called Nineveh. And Nineveh was a Gentile city, and it's the Old Testament, one of the rare places in the Old Testament where a Jewish prophet is sent to Gentiles. Now, the same thing happens again. In the same city, Peter is going to be sent from Joppa to go to Gentiles, not near as far, and no whales involved. But God is a God of order, and, and for some reason, Joppa is the city that God has chosen for the gospel to go out from to the Gentiles, and he sent the warning for the Ninevites from uh, Jonah, the same place. So God seems to be working on both ends uh, to meet in the middle. That's typical, the way that God seems to do things in my life. He, he speaks to several people about a matter, not just me, uh, and then he brings confirmation through people, through you or other people. So um, the next day, as they went on their journey, so they're coming down from the north, and drew near to the city of Joppa, Peter decides to go up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it's about noon. Uh, so uh, the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour are the three times that observant Jews in the first century prayed, so all that makes sense. So at the same time that they're getting close to the house that Peter is in, he decides to go up and pray. Now, those of you that have been to Israel, you know almost all the houses in in Israel, actually the whole Middle East today, have flat roofs on them. And there's usually a staircase on the outside of the house for you to go up because in the evening, especially the wind comes off the Mediterranean and it's much cooler on the roof. So that's where he goes to play, uh, to pray. It's kind of a patio area, like we would call it. And then he became very hungry while he's <laughs> getting ready to pray. That, that's a great encouragement to me because that's usually what happens to me. You know, I make this deep commitment, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to go and pray. And about 30 seconds into it, my stomach growls. And um, I think, uh, so Peter and I are on the same wavelength. It's easy to get distracted from praying. So he wants to eat. Uh, they're making lunch ready evidently downstairs while he's upstairs praying and then it says he fell into a trance um, now he's very hungry but then God is going to give him a vision and he seems to lose consciousness verse 11 and he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners. Think of a, a sail on a sailing ship uh, descending to him and let down to the earth. So he's, it's a vision. It's not actually happening. But this 
big sheet or this big sailcloth comes down and, and it's filled, it's overflowing with all kinds of animals. And uh, verse 12, in it there were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. Kosher and non-kosher animals together. Now that, that's shocking to Peter, I, unless you've been raised in a kosher home, it wouldn't impact most of us in this room. But his next words are, are even more shocking to Peter, verse 13, and a voice came to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's lunchtime, Peter. How about a bacon burger with lobster and, and something like that? But Peter says, not so, Lord. <laughs> Peter has gotten pretty good at saying no, Lord, to God. And uh, he says, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, uh, in Matthew 16, uh, Peter um, took Jesus aside when he said he was going to be killed, offered up. And he said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. <laughs> and, uh, and again, uh, in John 13, 8, uh, when Jesus was washing their feet, uh, Peter, Jesus comes up to Peter and Peter says, uh, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet. Uh, you have no part in me. So Peter says, well, do everything then, my hands, my head, everything on, on my body. But my point is that he keeps saying no to Jesus and then returning after he's had a moment to think about it and going just the other way. So he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat these animals. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, verse 15. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this is a command. God says he has literally declared it clean. Now, since we're not familiar, most of us here, with uh, kosher laws, let me read to you. This is Leviticus chapter 11. This is uh, the law of Moses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof, completely divided, and that chews the cud, like a cow. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is ceremonially unclean to you. So there goes camel burgers out the door. It's not if you're Jewish. The coney, mm, think a marmot. Uh, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean to you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof, completely divided, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean to you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. All the creatures of living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat 
only those that have fins and scales. All creatures of the sea or streams that do not have fins and scales, living among all of the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat their meat and you must not digest their carcasses. So he's talking about ham. Uh, he's talking about uh, uh, lobster, crab, uh, just a whole range of things that probably if you grew up in a Gentile home like I did, no, I didn't even think about that. You know, let me have a bacon burger with extra cheese on it. Um, but if you've grown up in a Jewish kosher home, that is uh, something that is desecrated in your mind. It's a terrible thing. But you go, look at all the trouble that God is going to, to move Peter to change his view of what it means to have a relationship with God. This really isn't about diet. It's not about food. It's about what pleases God. So he does this three times, verse 14, and then the object was taken up to heaven again. Now, God doesn't want Peter to miss this very important lesson, so he does it three times. Uh, the importance of the number three in Peter's life is interesting to me. He denied Jesus how many times? And uh, how many times did Jesus ask Peter in John 21, do you love me? And um, so here, Peter thinks God is talking about food. But God will show Peter that he's really getting to something much more critical. People. The point is accepting others. You'll see it here in a second. So what God has cleansed, other people surrendered their life to the Lord. Um, they're, they're no longer common. They're set aside to the Lord. Now, that's pretty clear, but for some reason it hasn't taken place in the body of Christ around the world. In other words, it's, it's not just talking about race or color or language or, or nationality. It's also talking about status in the society, um, a person that's homeless, a person that's uh, gotten off into... Uh, my wife, Raylin, reminded me, I was talking with her about this, and years ago when we were up in the old building, uh, the Wednesday evening service uh, was a smaller building and, and easy to... Um, to see everybody in, in the building. And one night, uh, sh she was sitting in the back, and, and a couple came in. <clears throat> and they looked like they were lost. They, 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 didn't, they weren't dressed for church. I'll just say it that way. You can let your imagination go any way you want. But uh, it, was, uh, the, it was very risque, the way they were dressed. But I was so proud of our church because everybody there could see that they were, they didn't fit in, but 
I think every person that night went up and said hi to them, shook their hand. And the strangest thing happened. They came back the next week and maybe dressed a little, Raylan thinks they were dressed a little bit uh, more, less risque, I'll say it that way. And uh, she said she watched it happen over the period of a couple of months. This couple kept coming back and people kept greeting them and pretty soon people were hugging them and they knew their names and talking about what they were doing. And they slowly became more and more conservative in their dress. But I, that, that's part of the thing I love about our church is that over the years, we've been so accepting to anybody, uh, whether it's a hell's angel or... or and, and that's what Jesus is trying to speak into Peter's life here, that uh, th this is really about... Um, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there was this common thing, and there was this holy thing, two separate categories. And God is, is moving that. The holy became common when it touched something was common that was common in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, left-hand side of the book. Just the opposite is true in the New Covenant. Jesus would touch lepers and heal them when nobody else would get near them, remember? And that plays out all the way through. So when something was made holy, it was consecrated. And something that's desecrated can become holy in the new covenant, but not in the old. So, three times God does this, verse 16. Uh, again, he's slamming home to Peter... This is something really important. It, it's not about eating pork or, or bear or anything else. It's about treating people. Uh, and I, I don't want to take too much time, but let me just tell you that, uh, having worked in a hospital for many years, that uh, wh why is pig meat dangerous? Well, it's filled with a parasite and the disease, uh, your muscle tissue gets all filled with these parasites and you ache all over, it'll kill you. Uh, bear meat is almost as bad as pig meat. And, uh, and so the argument is, well, you have to really cook bacon and, and it's relatively safe if you do those things. And now hogs are raised in a different environment than the wild ones that run on the ground so uh, there's not as much of this parasite available but anyway there's a very practical reason for not eating these various animals and bottom feeders on the ocean it's the same thing they're filled with all kinds of strange bacteria and things so three times and uh, let me give you an example of what not to do uh, Gandhi, you know, the, uh, the um, man who was really responsible for uh, introducing India to uh, destroying the caste system of all the levels of society in India. But uh, he was studying in South Africa, and it's really kind of a sad story, but 
he was, somebody had given him a Bible, and so he started reading the New Testament, and he became excited about the Sermon on the Mount, especially. And so he looked for a church in South Africa, and he went in one Sunday, his first visit to a church. And uh, he walked up holding his Bible, and as he started to go in the front door, an usher stopped him. And he said, I'm sorry, we don't allow mixed races here. You have to go to that church down the street. Well, um, he left, and, uh, and he never went back. But he wrote in his memoirs, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. There was an opportunity for him to hear the gospel and get saved. And uh, a church's own prejudices, their discrimination uh, is, is what kept him from becoming a believer. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Paul wrote. There's neither bond, slave, nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision of this giant sheet coming down and all these animals, which he had made really meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So Peter's thinking, what in the world do you mean, Lord? But at that very second, a knock comes at the front door. And God's making a connection between these Gentiles that are waiting outside to see him and the sheep and the animals that were part of law. Verse 18. And they, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose name was Peter, was lodging there. So Peter hears them downstairs talking. Then Peter thought about the vision. And the Holy Spirit, verse 19, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. So God is speaking to his heart. Um, probably Peter, at this point in his life, never would have gone with these Gentile messengers, something that no devote, devoted Jew would do. But God specifically told him uh, to do so beforehand. These men are seeking you. Three, there's that number three again, poor Peter, verse 20. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, that doubting nothing is a single Greek word. It's diakrino. And it literally means not to discriminate. So God says, go down and go with them, don't discriminate, for I have sent them. So the unclean animals on the sheet came down from heaven. These men have also been sent by God to Peter, and he needs to connect the dots. Peter went down, verse 21, to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? <clears throat> Peter you weren't supposed to discriminate. Uh, doubting nothing. Just go, Peter. Don't doubt. Don't ask questions. But he does. 
And they answer, Cornelius the centurion, verse 22, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you. God told our centurion to come and get you. Peter is impressed, verse 23, last verse. Then he invited them in and lodged them. They stayed in the house, which is unusual because Peter invites the Gentiles to stay in a tanner's house, which is unclean because tanners have contact with dead animals. But the Simon the tanner must have been connected to Tabitha, we looked at last time, and so he must be a Jewish believer, and God is working on him too. So Peter invites Gentiles to stay at the tanner's house that night, and the people, uh, and then it says, some brethren from Joppa accompanying him back up to Caesarea by the sea. So uh, Acts 11 will tell us that he has six Jewish believers from the church of Joppa going with him. So two important lessons here. For believers, God accepts anyone. So must we. Secondly, for others, religion saves no one. One of my favorite authors already in heaven was a uh, pastor named Dr. Harry Ironsides. Um, he pastored Moody Memorial Chapel in Chicago from uh, 1930 to 1948. And uh, he loved this section of scripture we just went through, particularly what God said to Peter. And uh, he loved to tell of the connection with his father's passing, his death. Um, he said, I've heard my mother tell that when my own dear father was dying, this passage of Acts 10, 11, and 12 was running through his mind. And we thought him delirious. He kept saying, a great sheet and wild beast and... And, and, and he would pause. He seemed to not remember the next word, but went back and started over again. And once more, he came to the same place, a great sheep and wild beasts and, and, and something. A friend bent over, thinking he was stuck, and said, John, it says creeping things. And he said, oh, yes, that's how I got in just a poor, good-for-nothing, creeping thing. I got in saved by grace. So no matter how low, how vile, how utterly useless and corrupt or unclean a soul might be, that soul who trusts in Jesus is in the sheep let down from heaven. Got connected? So and it will lead to peace in heaven for eternity. Are you religious? Danger. The question is, are you saved? God isn't satisfied with us just being religious. He wants our sins to be paid for. 
A person who was saved is one who has come to trust that Jesus died for their sins. A person who is saved is one who has opened their heart to Jesus and given their life to him to follow him thereafter. Would you stand, please, and we'll pray together. We thank you, Lord, that you came to earth to die, to pay the price for our sins, and that you've given a free gift to anyone who would accept it. Thank you for reminding us to be accepting and not discriminate against any person, any race, any tribe, any language group, any nationality. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray for anyone here this evening that might be here visiting or might not know you or never surrendered their lives. Lord, we pray that you would touch them. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this evening who, as I went through this, you realize, you know that you're a sinner. Nobody has to tell you that. But you've never surrendered to God and asked him to forgive your sins. This moment is for you. We'll just take a second to give you an opportunity. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender your life to God, would you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't embarrass you or anything. I'll just acknowledge it, and then we'll pray together. Anyone here this evening that needs to surrender their life to the Lord and ask him to forgive their sins? I don't see any hands. So we'll just assume you've all already done that. So let me put Moses' blessing on you. He said, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. And may you be filled with every gift of the Holy Spirit and be useful to God in the days and weeks ahead. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Good night.